Hello everyone, it is 7 o'clock on a Friday. That is dedication, dedication on both parts. And we're recording this podcast on the powers of the internet. That's one of the awesome things. But let's get to it. I've got an awesome guest here, which I've kind of known a little bit on LinkedIn. And we've been planning this talk for a while because I want to discover a lot. So I'm joined here by the fantastic Michael McGuire. And Michael, you are from... NCL, and I dropped a clanger before we started, which is New College, Lanarkshire. When I said Lancaster, I had to correct myself. There is a def- there is a differentiator. But there's my- a geographical difference, absolutely. Yeah, there's a, mass- there's a massive one, isn't it? It's like when people say, where are you from, Steve? Are you from Ireland? No, I'm Welsh. I'm Welsh, right? It's big- there's, a- there's a big difference. But Michael, do you want to tell us, for anyone that hasn't met you, a little bit more about yourself and what you're up to? Yeah, absolutely. I am a lecturer with New College Lanarkshire. Nothing to do with Lancashire. Um, and <laughs> I have been, this is my 20th year in education, Wow. Um, before that, I was a structural steel fabricator. So oh, right. whenever you're driving past schools, uh, colleges, offices, and you see the steel skeleton, that was my job was actually manufacturing and erecting that. Um, throughout my career, I have kind of worked in that for about 12, 13, 14 years. When I was 24, I I was night shift one evening in a factory and I looked around and I saw all the older guys, I'm now 47, but I saw all the guys that were about 40, 45, and they looked uh, much older because it's a hard job. It's a very wearing job. And I thought to mm. myself, I need to get out of this and I need to go and get in a design office. Um, so I actually put myself through two evenings per week for two years at the local college and got myself an HNC, Higher National Certificate, in CAD, which was just the engineric computer-aided design. Um, I've been really lucky It's talk about timing um, at that point in Scotland there were lots and lots of students coming through the CAD course that were going into architectural technology um, yeah. so the CAD course taught them AutoCAD and back then it was also architectural desktop maybe some of your uh, viewers and yourself, I don't know whether you remember that but architectural desktop was a horrendous piece of software but um, obviously the, the staple is AutoCAD and we taught people how to use AutoCAD. We taught them how to do planning applications, building control, building warrant, that type of thing. And off they went and did that. Mm. I got a phone call after I'd completed to say, look, we are looking to create a brand new course. It's going to be architectural technology, but it's going to focus on the software. It's going to move from the drawing board and using AutoCAD using whatever the new architectural software might be, it's focusing on that. And I was just really lucky, right place, right time. Um, and I got invited into the college. And from there on, 20 years ago, we have completely rewritten the curriculum um, in digital construction many times. And it is now what it is, what we do now with it. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I'm going to give you a round of applause. I should have tested it out earlier, but (laughs) if you hear that, my soundboard works. That's awesome. Now, you're going to have, you're going to have to, you mentioned a few things there. Now, I jumped into the industry when MicroStation was knocking about. So tell technically CAD. I know right now it's an interesting time, isn't it? Because BIM 
and Revit and, and Archicad or whatever, BIM as a methodology is slowly becoming the status quo. And I had a, an interesting topic, a debate with, with a friend because 10 years ago, Revit was on the cusp. It was the kind of thing that was more adopted in Australia. Very few people use it in the UK, but times have moved on. So I'd love to know a little bit about, you mentioned when you started doing this awesome course, you know, in the college, but how have you seen things move then over the last few years? Yeah, I, again, I mean, I say right place, right time and how lucky I am. I've been teaching now for 20 years. So the students from 20 years ago that I was teaching are now themselves BIM managers um, or, or or running companies, their own companies, or working in some of the, the larger uh, architectural companies or, or indeed some of the engineering companies. Um, they have helped me enormously um, wow. by keeping my, my own skills up to date, but also helping us by designing the curriculum there is a big obviously a big difference um what we're focusing on is my course specifically is architectural technology right but in glasgow it, it absolutely springboarded about maybe even five or six years ago it, it made most companies made a massive leap um yeah. towards iso well then the british standard 1192 bim standards in that process I have been really lucky because the companies that were early adopters saw this coming. And I would say, I know you're saying it's, it's kind of slow progression. I've found the opposite. And um, the opposite. Yeah, and especially in Glasgow. Now we're seeing Edinburgh as well. Lots and lots of companies um, come to us. Um, we deliver obviously the HNC and the HND. Um, so it's two years. Our course pretty much focuses in two years. It's written in a way that after the two years with us, they could go directly to university and they could go straight into year three, which would be their degree year. And there's mm. there are three or four universities that, that offer that round about Scotland for, for our students. But we've tended to find over the last five, six years, our students are going straight into industry um, as architectural mm. technologists. Um, they're being snapped up. And for us, that's because they know Revit skills. Um, we made that decision a good number of years ago when Revit mm. was quite new, Autodesk had acquired it. I think it was two years after they acquired it, we had a course and we were delivering that. Mm. That wasn't my decision. That was people from industry who were saying, we can see the industry shifting towards that. Oh, right. And that's what you need to be teaching your students. Mm. Very smart. Well, it's, but, it's, I can say on the recruitment front, most yeah. prac companies ask for Revit. So perhaps the people yeah. it's very good the people you kept around they were on the money right so it was Correct. a good good source but of intel interestingly being able to use revit obviously there are there are people who can use revit and then there's people who will use revit following a what do you say a very structured approach right that's what these companies are looking for um mm. one of the things that we did we we've tailored our our curriculum a couple of times we've actually changed it I think what's that three or four times now in the past 20 years mm. um, and we try to create a, as most colleges and universities will do you try and create a curriculum that's quite flexible it it really struggles to keep up to date with how quickly the industry is changing right so the more flexible a unit is then it, you don't want to mention Revit because what happens if Revit disappears and it's replaced by something else or if you mention BS 1192 
in BS1182 is replaced by ISO 19650. How do you, do you have to then create a brand new u unit and module Got you. so that you can deliver it? But what we found actually was, um, yes, the companies are looking for students right now that will be able to use Revit. But I would say even more of a skill is they're looking for students who can use either BIM 360 or the Autodesk Construction Cloud. Right. They're looking for people who understand what a common data environment is. They're looking for people who can work from a BEP, uh, so the BIM execution plan, so they're able to use that and find the project number, naming conventions, um, what work sets, how to use the work sets, what are the the programme of uh, collaboration schedule and things like that. So a lot of the processes of, I would say the industry is moving away from, you need to be able to use Revit and looking for a Revit skill. They're actually now looking, can you use Revit the way we need you to use Revit? Really interesting. Yeah. I tell you, because yeah. one of my clients is um, it's a software company which which focuses on building software for the CDE environment, common data environment. So even I've had to learn, yep. you know, these terms. And, and <laughs> I, I I had a Revit training course in 2014, right before I left architecture. So I've been incredibly <laughs> rusty, my God. I probably would need to go on your course. But where I, and I, well, where I find it, what I'd like to learn though, is because now I'm 34. And so grew up in Wales, you had primary school, secondary school, and the secondary school, it didn't have sixth form or whatever. So you had to go to college, which was awesome because I thought it was like freaking sweet because you didn't <laughs> have to wear a uniform. You, basically, you start being, you know, you as a person. You, yeah. you, you, you go to that step. You're, you're a young adult, basically. You have your hangovers. You, you kind of, <laughs> you know, you, you, you make a few mistakes. And I didn't do that. I was, a, I was an adult learner when I returned to college, remember? <laughs> well, fair enough. But my mum did yep. the same thing. My mum uh, didn't do the traditional route and um, she regretted it. And then she went back to, in Wales, she went to Open University and kind of got a degree and, and you know, very proud of her for doing that because it, it doesn't really matter what age you do it. If you kind of got like this, you can, you can do it. But just yeah, so totally I know, it, you know, in terms of your, your, your course, and so I can visualize it, is it an option that say now when I was 16 to 18, I can go into um, your course, Architectural Technology? Is, is that how it works then pretty much? Or you yeah, can go at any I mean, age? Yeah, pretty much. We have, um, we work directly with schools as well. We're yeah. actually trying to kind of break that link of um, schools have a, mm. and this is a, a, we all know guidance teachers have, um, even in terms of what their their education is and their, their roots are, yeah. um, schools very much push if you're good at something. So for example, in this, if you like art and you like architecture, actually you want to go to a, one of the big universities and you want to be an architect but it's not always the case actually no, I personally yeah. I I and this is where I was like a, a failed architect let's say straight off the bat because when I was younger I was great at art and I was told that when because I was interested in architecture you want to be an architect I didn't have the grades to go to architecture school um, in Glasgow we have the Glasgow School of Art I was not talented enough or artistic enough to get there, and there's a more technical architecture school, Strathclyde. I didn't have the grades to get there either, and right. and life kind of led me down. 
a different path where I went into structural and construction and it was more hands-on, which, mm. I will be honest, really did suit me. I was that young, yeah, yeah. naive, immature guy. That definitely suited me. Um, but there are people who, many, many students that I have had who have attempted the architecture route and thought, it's not for me. Yeah. I prefer the, the more technical side of it, the technical side and um, the design. And we have had students who have maybe done one, two, three years uh, of the architecture route and then changed their mind and come. And they wish they had their guidance teacher had actually told them about that route, just being a different route altogether. Yeah. Um, so, so typically that's a big challenge we find in our college is schools want to push pupils directly to university and guidance teachers don't know enough about other disciplines. Structural design building services, MEP, facade design, interior design. It's just architecture. Everybody just says, oh, you like art and you like architecture, so it needs to be architecture. And mm. So we're trying to break that up and let people see there's actually quite a few different options that are within it that as a route that you could actually take. Mm. I'm going to give you a clap for that. I love it. I've got a quick funny story. Because about... I said I was a failed architect, right? <laughs> well, I, I didn't, I'm not qualified, so, but I'm also a failed architect, so there you go. You, we, you all go your different ways, and, and you're so right. I think that, you know, the term architect, on one hand, is very definitive, but on the other hand, it's incredibly broad. And okay. and I find a lot of people go into architecture and then maybe they become a BIM coordinator or they become a BIM manager and they kind of mm -hmm. go sideways and, and move around. But what I was going to tell you, and you laugh, is that in so in, I went to Cosignan College and it was, I'm not going to knock it because I've got a good experience at Cosignan College. I don't regret it. But I always remember I went to the career counsellor and, and, and he was talking about when you go to the university, it's like, I want to be an architect. And he was like, oh, no, actually, it was in secondary school where the guy in the college told you. And I said, I want to be an architect. And he said, yeah, you need to do maths to do architecture. And you don't you don't do maths or science. So I'm not sure if you can do architecture. <laughs> and it really wound me up. And and I was like, well, I'm gonna show you. So I did graphic design, I did IT, I did geography, and I did design the technology, which all laterally are kind of skills that I think you use in architecture. You got the yeah. graphics aspect, you need to know about cities, infrastructures, especially if you're doing large scale. And IT, come on, we're talking about it's handy skill to have, you know, limitations, all this stuff. So Anyways, I got there in the end. And I think that's a classic case of, as you're saying, Michael, of the career guy. He was a really nice guy, but he was just reading the book, in my yep. opinion, which said architecture, you need maths and you need science. So I think totally, you don't, you can do totally different ways and get into architecture. And what I like about your point as well, even if we zoom out a bit, do you really need to be an architect? So the skills that you're talking about in terms of your course michael and this is just me thinking out loud based upon anecdotal experience in recruitment there are loads of bim technology companies prop tech companies which use people with this skill sets i know modular factories at the moment which are um, building up architecture teams you know and 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 they're serious business and they're not typically looking for an architect they're looking for someone with your skill set. Yeah. And I, I know money's not everything, but I, I think it, it, just because to do the traditional course of university in architecture, 
doesn't mean you're going to be on more money. In fact, I think well, the opposite. Yeah, yeah. So if I, I don't want to mention names, but um, when you start to look <laughs> at the contractors, and I have passed students now that will, their salary would scare you. It is enormous amounts of money. Oh, I know. Yeah. I've worked with the Costains and all them of the world. Trust me, if if you do well mm-hmm. in there, okay, if it might be not glamorous as first when you're thinking about infrastructure motorways. I think it's really interesting, but maybe that's not typically what you think at the start. But the salaries, the rewards, the opportunities. These main contractors really look at look after you. I yeah. mean. An architectural yeah. practice, you don't get given car allowance, right? You know, so <laughs> that's true. That's that's true. Um, yeah, some of the some of my so there's so I work very closely um, with quite a lot of companies. So in Glasgow, um, actually, the probably my biggest supporter is um, Diane Ramage, who's the BIM manager at Kepi Design in Glasgow. Now, Kepi Design was actually founded by Charles Rennie McIntosh. It's right. a very traditional. Uh, but very forward-thinking and innovative architectural practice. Um, but they, Diane was probably one of the first people who recognised the talent of the students mm. and what what had kind of recommended, let's have a look at having an exhibition evening and things like that. Mm. And what we found was um, it gave Diane an in and other companies an in to come and actually see the talent um, and approach them before they even finished their course and say, do you want to come maybe work for us part-time until right. the summer when you finish a course and then, right? So it lets it lets them see the kind of talent and the skill. But so Kepi is an architectural practice. Holmes Miller is an architectural practice in Glasgow. It does the same. Um, but then you have Multiplex and um, Baker Hicks. Baker Hicks themselves have something like 15 of my past students working for them in their office in Eurocentral. Um, I mean, one of the things I'm, I'm known for, that's what we're doing here this weekend is, is world skills. Um, and I'm happy to talk about world skills as well and what we do in that but mm. um, Baker Hicks and Balfour BA and Autodesk are sponsoring the competition this year because they wow. realise how influential the competition can be in curriculum design mm. and when it started when it we launched the digital construction competition as part of world skills um, Baker Hicks took four of the top ten in the UK we had a national final so we, we have a kind of competition up to a national final but in the national final there was the 10 top uh, digital construction students in the UK some were architectural technologists some were structural MEP design and so on and Baker Hicks took the top four Um, they took one into their structural team one into their building services team one into their architectural team and one into their BIM team as well so yeah, uh, it was a BIM architectural, structural, and MEP, and you're like, there's a there's a contractor for you. They've got all of those different services in the one company. So yeah. if you're lucky enough to get in with a contractor, and you work in the architectural team, you'll also get to see what the structural team, the building services team, and the BIM team are all doing as well. Well, well, th- there you go. And let me just say, Baker Hicks knows what's up, right? They know to keep the recruitment costs down. Yeah. Keep up with the universities, keep yep. an eye on the talent. And I find it very, very interesting. One of the things I always say to some people, and this is a little bit made perhaps in fear in their career and more importantly to get involved now, is that how do you create opportunities for yourself in life? It's actually getting involved in whether it's yeah. coding or Revit or going to grasshopper groups and all these going to these opportunities and these events, you you 
in the end, you don't apply for the interviews. People ask for you to come in. And that's <laughs> generally what happens further in your career. But actually, it's really interesting. You can speed that process up by getting yep. involved in stuff. So it's probably a nice segue then to talk about what World Skills UK is. And now I don't fully know <laughs> what it is. And I'd love to know. And I can see that you're wearing the dapper tie. I yeah. actually also have it's away over here behind me as well. There's the other shirt. That's the back of the shirt. That's tomorrow's shirt, that one sitting tomorrow's. over there. And I'm well, in I'm in I'm in the hotel tonight. So it's yeah. That's the whole the whole crux of it right now is um in twenty eighteen I was invited to help launch the digital construction competition within World Skills UK. World Skills internationally have something like seventy competitions. Um wow. so Think the Olympics. I was not a fast runner at school and I yeah. could not throw things very far. So the javelin yeah. and the shot puts out and the triple jump, <laughs> I was shocking at that. But did you know there was a thing where you can compete? So I, I did an apprenticeship where I was a fabricator welder and there are welding competitions. So oh, cool. instead of finding the fastest to run 100 metres, who's the best welder in the UK? Who's the best bricklayer, tiler, plasterer? All the trades, carpentry, landscape, but we also have things like um, hairdressing, beauty therapy, body art, mechanical engineering, CAD, and now digital construction. So digital construction. I can Here we go. Digital yeah. construction. I know. So it encompasses any student in the whole of the world on any digital construction or design course. So that includes architecture. That includes um, architectural technology, structural, MEP, building services, civil engineering. Um, so what we do have, um, it's something I'll share with you, and you're, you're more than welcome to share with um, Please, people yeah. that can log into your channel, is we have an entire uh, video channel, if you like, taking you through every single step that would even be in the competition. So we have, um, coming up, we will have a competition in... On the twentieth of April, um, the deadline for for registering actually is going to be today, and I know we've all been sharing it. Um, the deadline is going to be today, so it might be looking at the next one. <laughs> next but, one. Um, yeah. It runs every year. Yep. So it runs every year, and it's open to in England. It's level six or below, so that's pretty much your degree. If uh, England, Wales, and Northern Ireland are level six, in Scotland the equivalent level is level nine, but it's exactly the same. Um, uh, kind of compete level if you like um, but pretty much we will have something called a passive competition on the 20th of April for every single student that's registered and we've got approximately about 100 registered just now half of wow. them around about half of them will progress to the next round um, and that's it's pretty much like you're using Revit but you're also opening a BIM execution plan it's automated, so it asks you a question. What's the project number? You read the BEP, you type it in the answer box, and you hit submit, and it asks you another question. It will show you things like work sets. Is this work set named as per project requirements? You find it in the BEP, and you go with it. Mm. Um, you maybe model a couple of rooms and walls, and you find what's the volume of that, and you type it in, that's it. So the next step, then, is um, the top 50 or 60 students from all over the UK are invited to something called the National Qualifier. And in the National Qualifier, it's a one-day competition. 
So they would go to wow. their host centre, their local college or university, and we all do it exactly the same time. So the plan is the 8th of June. Uh, so some students will turn up in New College Lanarkshire, Edinburgh Napier, University Highlands and Islands and so on. Others will go to Sheffield Hallam, Liverpool John Moore, um, Birmingham City University, Middlesex and so on. We've also got um, Belfast Met and Ulster University in Northern Ireland. We haven't had anybody join this year from Wales, but this is going to be our task for next year. Oh. You and I, we're going to push that. Oh um, no, my Welsh comrades, <laughs> what are we doing? Not yet, not yet, next year. Um, but yeah, so we have, everybody does exactly the same competition at the same time. It takes approximately five and a half to six hours. What we're going to do is we're going to link all the host centres by Zoom. So mm. I will be there uh, for everybody in Zoom, but everybody will be face-to-face in their own host centre and everybody will sit the same competition. The top eight from those 50 or 60 get invited to the national final. Now wow. that's going to be mid-November and then it place to be confirmed, location to be confirmed. We're not sure yet where it's going to be. But in that, the top eight people who have scored the highest eight scores then from the national qualifier all over the UK get invited to that and then they compete for two days. So two solid days. You're creating structural models, architectural models, they're working from a BEP, they're using Uniclass 2015, they're exporting Kobe data, they're working to Autodesk Construction Cloud the whole time, they're using Navisworks to do class detection so on. So yeah, it's a, a proper um, stage two BIM project the scale of which is um, surprisingly large, actually, when you see how much work they actually get through. Wow. Now, World Skills UK have a, a kind of criteria. It's level six or below. Um, so we find that, like Sheffield Hallam and ourselves, we put some first years and second years into that. Some universities will put third years and fourth years in, um, depending on the level of Revit and when they teach Revit, if that makes sense. Yeah. So most students are pretty on a par, I would say they are pretty even. Um, it's quite stressful, it's quite a big complex project and it really does push you. But then there's another step, so if you then think of that at the national final, you couldn't run and you couldn't throw stuff, but you were good at digital construction, you could be winning the gold medal, silver medal or bronze medal to say you've came first, second or third in the UK. Wow. If you score highly enough and you're scoring a high percentage of the top scores, you can also get a highly commended award. But you're really looking at that to say, think of your CV for that, that you've competed in world skills. Yeah. You've meddled or achieved something in world skills. Even if you win your region in world skills, think of that where it's the the region, the, the competition in Wales. Let's say we had one in Wales to say I'm actually the top Welsh performance student and so on. Um, however, world skills international go even further. So this October, I'm taking one competitor to Shanghai and oh, they wow. will compete in Shanghai on behalf of Team UK. Now say this to all of the all the all your viewers, but if you Google it and you'll see World Skills Kazan, which was the last one in Russia, and if you Google it and say the World Skills Kazan opening, there's a two hour long version, but if you find a little one and a half minute, you'll see it's just like the Olympics. It's absolutely vast. It's massive. And you'll see the people coming in and they're carrying the flag and somebody there is competing on behalf of Digital Construction, Team UK. There's a tiler, there's a plumber, there's a welder, a beauty therapist. Everybody is there, right? So you're thinking, 
we have a level six requirement in the UK. World Skills International have an age limit and it's 25. If you are over 25 when we compete in October, you're too old. Mm, so get it has in. that age limit that we don't have in the UK. We just have an experience. We want students to compete, mm. absolutely. But we don't. I, mean, I was an old student. I was yeah. older. I was a mature student. Why couldn't I compete? You know. So yeah. we have that in the UK. You can go right up to gold, silver, Very bronze cool. level, national final. But if you're young enough, I get to then train you for two years and take you to wherever the next one. So we've got Shanghai. The next one in two years will be Leon. Wow. Well, there we go. Mm -hmm. I was, I'm gonna, I, I've got my karate <laughs> noise for for it because I thought that it says like uh, the karate kid of, um, uh, the karate kid tournaments of of um, CAD BIM and the digital industry. So so cool. I know. Do you know where it reminds me of? And this to me shows how valid I think it is. So in terms of recruitment and mm. what we would do in circa 2012-2014 when Rev Revit was new it was very hard to ascertain how good someone was using Revit yeah. so there was a piece of software called Knowledge Smart which was used and that was it. yeah exactly and it was a little bit like when you're talking about the first step hypothetical questions now you could gain you could it was a little element of trust involved like you had to mm -hmm. know the person was in front of the computer or so forth. But that was an indicator of, is someone good at Revit? And now I don't really use Knowledge Smart anymore, not because it's um, not a good project, because more so now because Revit is used more. But especially at the starting point, it was very important to kind of get a metric of how good that person was using the software. So, for example, if someone got 90% or 80%, Typically, they're more likely to, to get a Revit job, especially during that time of employment. And where I can see the World Skills UK, A, it's fun because, you know, you're going to get involved. You make friends and all this stuff, right? So that's obviously the part of it. And learning is the most important thing as well as, the you know, the fun along the way. I just like as a byproduct, then by participating, you're getting a certificate which is actually going to help you get employed. So it's not it's it's a lot more productive than probably yeah. getting um get having a few glasses and playing World of Warcraft like I used to do in college. <laughs> <laughs> I know you what live you mean. and learn. Well, you live and learn. I, I've got two things on that actually. One, we just had a webinar recently and Baker Hicks's so Baker Hicks senior BIM manager, um Alistair Brown. Alistair was absolutely in at the foundation of the competition he helped sign the very first competition and the marking scheme him and gary judged the first competition right. in 2018 um he said in that interview and it's recorded and it's in a webinar um i'll share that with you baker hicks he values the world skills competition over a degree Ooh. if you make the national final you have what they need as a company they will take students with a degree and then they have to show them quite a bit. Yeah. You will not hit the ground running. Let's say if you compete and get to the national final at World Skills, you can hit the ground running. You can be put on a live project and they can trust you to go with it. So I'll share that LinkedIn. I'll share that webinar with you. It's worth a watch. We have mm, um, Laura, who is the head of Scotland for Baker Hicks. We have Leah 
who is the information manager with Balfour Beatty, and then Alistair. Um, we also have a past student, Isabel, and her lecturer from Sheffield Talum, Jeff. And mm. It's really good to hear it from a student's point of view, um, as well as another educator as well. It's been good to hear that. But yeah, it's an interesting statement. He will take. He would take uh, the World Skills Competition national finalist over a degree. Well, it's serious, and I can see why. I worked in recruitment. I can see <laughs> you have to remember that actually, at the end of the day, what is a job interview? It's about meeting someone with the view, the hope yep. that they can solve a business's needs. Yep. Now, hypothetically, if they, if they, let me rephrase that. If in the design competition someone's been doing that 12 hours on that crazy project with this theoretical situation and accomplished a lot, maybe not even perfect or maybe one, whatever, that's kind of like a live demonstration of how someone's going to cope under stress, which to me is a lot better of an indicator than the 40 minutes to an hour in an interview. So you've almost like had the pre-interview there because the person's gone, I want to meet that person. So it's a better indicator. Yeah, Yeah. Alistair was a judge. He saw them for the two days. The other (laughs) side of it is I have a degree. I have my honours degree in architectural technology. But what is a degree? The degree is just that badge you were talking about. It's Mm. what's your Revit badge to tell you this is my level of Revit 90%. What's your degree? I've got a first class honours. Well, that kind of tells you the same thing, right? Competing in the World Skills competition, and if you medal or receive a highly commended, it's putting you up there exactly the same. It benchmarks you. Um, The other one, actually, you can't really talk about without without kind of bringing this in as well, is the the Certiport stuff. We have, for our students, and I know Sheffield and some of the other universities do it, the Autodesk Certified User Exams. Right, so that's yes. definitely replaced what you were looking at before. And we'll look at AutoCAD and Revit, Inventor, um, Fusion, and so on. Yeah. We'll look at those softwares. And our students get the badges. And, you know, I'm really... I push LinkedIn, right? You all see me. I'm on LinkedIn 10 posts a day, I think. Oh, you're hustling. I yeah. know, I know. It's, I, I like shouting about what, what the students are doing, no, right? Good. And the thing is, yeah. they're not even all my students. They're, they're students who become mine from other universities because of the World Skills Competition. So mm. equally, I'll shout about them as well. But I know they're all putting their badges up just now. They're all doing their Revit Autodesk certification exams. So that's a really good benchmark as well, that one. I I agree with you. What's very interesting, though, Michael, because I've seen the two the two worlds, and I and I really think there's two worlds that I've been dipping in, into architecture because because I understand because I was a bit of a geek growing up, and I, I've used <laughs> I love computers. I understand BIM as a methodology. To me, it, it makes total sense, and I was advocating it when I was in practice. But because of that, in terms of recruitment, I've been involved in the prop tech work. I've worked with main contractors and I've worked with digital consultancies and so forth. Now, in that world, Autodesk certification is super important. What's weird and bizarre in the architecture world is that sometimes a BIM coordinator or a BIM champion is just the the guy who knows BIM best in the team. And it's strange that the, the qualifications you talk about, they're not often as utilized unless someone is a typical BIM coordinator, a BIM BIM manager. That's not to say that they're not useful, because actually I think what the person gets out of the course is the most useful thing anyways. 
Yeah. But it's the architecture world, the architecture, architecture world, which we alluded to earlier, you know, the quote unquote architect is a bit of a strange beast in that way. And I know that because it's a world I worked in. I actually left it and I recruit in it now. So what I was bringing into this, because I think, and this is my personal opinion, that basically, Michael, I came from humble roots. I couldn't afford to study architecture the price it is now oh, yeah. in universities. Mm-hmm. Because, and I'm, I'm amazed people don't talk about this more, but it, let's say there's five years to do the traditional architecture course, which you've got, and this is universities. So we're not even talking about college and you know getting through that place. And not everyone has the luxury and the support. And when I was in college, there wasn't an architectural course, you know? So, but yeah. where, where I'm getting at now is that to, I did a cost, based analysis that in the current 9,000 a year system in university, if you've got the five years, that's 45,000 pounds. If you're living in a place where you you, you don't have the luxury of having your home next to, which I didn't, because you know, you've got to go to London or you mentioned Glasgow School of Art to do yeah. architecture, you're basically racking up at 85 to 98,000 pounds. And that's so much it costs to do architecture. And what me and you just said is that if it was all about the money, a main contractor is going to pay more or <laughs> another job's going to pay more or recruitment, which I did, pays more. So there's, so it's, it's, it's a strange thing. And I'm, I'm not convinced that the traditional way of architecture, which doesn't reinforce stuff like Revit, doesn't reinforce the skills which employers are looking for, I think there's a disconnect and it's not sustainable. Um, that's my opinion. I, I, what I was going to say is now there's the architectural apprentice route, which I think makes a lot more sense and is closer to what yeah. you're talking about, Michael. And I think that's the way forward because you can learn, you can earn. But what's your thoughts, first yep. of all, of that traditional architecture route I talk about? Do you also agree there's a big change in the last few years? Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen... Um... I won't mention where I have seen a couple of universities where they went for interview and were basically slated and told you don't have any of the skills that we would need mm. um, because they are local to us. Um, the groups of students themselves paid for or so it was actually myself that went to their university and did, they did it at evening. So I, I've taught. Tuesday evenings and Thursday evenings I teach I was that student if you remember I went two years yes, yes. Um, to college myself in the evening and I, I teach on a Tuesday evening and a Thursday evening and for 12 weeks I went to one of the universities it was an architecture school and I taught the students how to use Revit and how to use 3D Studio Max um, because they were going for interview and being told you're really coming without you're coming with your degree, you're coming with that certification but you've not really got the the skill set we need. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing I, I can tend to find from it, I was an apprentice. I, When I left school, I was an apprentice. And for four days a week, I learned on the job and I earned money. And one day a week, I went to college and I got the certification that yeah. suited the company. That's what they wanted. It suited the college. It suited me. Um, when I then went into education and I went to college, and it was evening class and I was a mature student. It was a great course and it was designed in a way it was very practical. 
I achieved that, but afterwards I then went to university myself. Mm. The university I went to did it was architectural technology. Um, I'd say I did well because I was a mature learner and I had right. a lot of experience. The younger students that had come straight through year one, two, into year three, and so on, they struggled. They they had never been shown anything in the software side. They'd never really Difficult. been shown a real project. And that's yeah. the biggest kind of drawback for me is what when do you see your first real project? If you're in third year or fourth year at university, and architectural technology is it's four years for your honours. So year one, two, three, then your fourth year, you've never seen a real project. You're looking at architects' journal details, let's be honest. It's can you uh, go and replicate this detail and you're handed a detail to do? But at what point do you actually work on a real project? And that's what's missing. Correct. Um, the, the biggest thing for us is in Scotland, education is covered through tax. So oh, you're right. speaking about £9,000 a year to go to university. It's considered free in Scotland. It's obviously not free. It's paid for through tax, but you don't pay. As a student, you don't pay. And you're getting your four years plus another year. Um, so it's called four plus one. So you can go for five years to university and it's not costing you the course fees, that £9,000 per year. But I I don't know that it's the right approach either. I oh, really? think Interesting. a lot a lot of university... No, the education, absolutely. I think education should be free. I just yeah. mean that then none of the students are then pulling up any course, and not just university, colleges as well. If the course is not fit for purpose... And you have, well, there's a question you need to ask, right? I am right now almost 100%. I think we've got, we're only in, where are we at? April. And out of 18 students, I think I've got about three or four that have not got employment yet. But I'm 100% certain by the time we get to June, those students will be in employment. This is a second year of a course. Yeah. What courses say that? So that's yeah. the biggest question for me is, that's going to tell you how good the course is. Is the course valid and fit for purposes and it teach you the right software skills and the right knowledge? Is it correct and fit for purpose? How many students actually get a job in the industry when they've finished it? Yeah, wow. So that's the wow. biggest question I've got for them. Um, that, that tells you if the course is right. That tells you if the course is teaching the right things or not. Yeah, I'm gonna give you a quick. I'm gonna give you another round of applause there. I've actually got, I've got, I've got like a, you know, like a, a few here. But um, I, I let's try one more. There you go. Well, that sounds a bit strange. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you, things need to change though, and I love it. I love it. I love it. We need to give people more Does. options. I, and I think actually the 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 students should be listened to more. And I don't know many courses that actually listen to their students. Now, mm. past students or current students, there was recently, if you look at what happened with COVID, there was a lot of students who kicked off, a lot of students who complained, and quite rightly, they were neglected. And I know a lot of students who were neglected, and I've supported, and other people have supported them. Um, for me, there's a lot of college and university courses that really aren't about the student anymore. They're about bringing in money. They're just about mm. being... Well, an education institution should not be making profit, but it is all about making the money, isn't it? It's interesting. And also, I think more so in architecture, 
which is under pressure. I think that there was an ego with architecture universities. And so I was lucky. Um, I went to two good universities. Now, Manchester University was awesome to me. I loved it because I kind of got the London ego knocked the heck out of me. I went up there thinking (laughs) I know everything. They bashed me down a peg (laughs) with a kind of a cheeky wink, kind of bash you down, you know, as in the best kind of bashing you down. And and so my tutor at the time, Nick Dunn, who has moved to another university, I forget which one, but Nick had a fantastic motto though as a teacher his role should be to like um like a shepherd he should let me the sheep wander the field and learn but he said his role was just to pull me back just when i go too close to the electric fence he just pulls me back (laughs) but allow me to explore and i felt that the 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 quote-unquote architects architects university so and i'm not going to say particular names but we know which ones the architects architects university some of the tutors I felt were, were looking for what I call mini-me's. So it was like, this is my thesis in the studio. If you don't yep. do it exactly like I'm thinking, you don't get a good grade. So basically, the kind of the projects come out like a copy of a copy of a copy. And so there was one studio that I was in, and at the time I was quite enamored with the, with the tutor because I respected the tutor. And I still learned a lot, so I'm not critiquing that. But every project in this group that I was in was like long and vertical. And that was the brief. Mm-hmm. Everyone that came out, it got to the point where I would show um, my portfolio and someone would be like, oh, you were in this guy's studio. And I was like, yep. yep. <laughs> and uh, you got to question then w- what you truly learned. And what I respect is about Manchester University is that they had a loose program in the studio but they were happy for all the projects to come out differently at the expense of maybe a worse year or like a not a theme. That wasn't the most important thing. It was the quality of education. And that's what I really have learned firsthand. And I'm I'm sure you, you've probably seen bits of that in the education industry. But what I like about what you're doing, it's kind of like, well, we haven't got time for that nonsense. Let's just give some <laughs> practical skills people can learn it's a different skill set totally different in in terms of architecture you are trying to nurture creativity and that 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 kind of Mm. approach that you had that you're very curious when you were a sheep and you wanted to go and touch the electric fence just to see what it was like touch it once just don't touch it twice you'll be fine (laughs) um that that's a different approach altogether some of my students are very design orientated but, but let's be honest if they were wanting to be architects they would have gone to an architecture school right they're, mm. they're with me because they want to be more technical right or it, it, it's kind of just even looking at we don't do we have some of the units that we teach about like history of architecture and we do form order uh, space composition we do that within it so they have an understanding of because yeah. they will work with architects of course they will um but the the end game is not that creative spark it is the technical person that's going to then work with the creative spark and actually get that buildable and and let's actually get a real project out of that. So it's yeah. a, it, I would say I have an easier life. Can you teach the creative spark? Can you teach that uh, creativity side of it? The I don't know. I, I think it's much easier to teach the technical side. This is what a, a curtain wall is. This is what a cladding is. This is what SFS is. This is how they attach to each other and... So right. do you know what though it's interesting i think and i've worked with 
what's called in uh, and it's executive architecture practices, which basically means that they focus on building a project. So an example would be, I've worked with Adamson Associates who help Renzo Piano build the shard. Renzo has their creative juices, mm -hmm. but it's a technical challenge. But I do think though, there's a creativity in being technical to get things to work, if that makes sense. Like <laughs> it's one thing for me to say, I want it like this, but it takes someone with the technical understanding and the vision to build that. So I would still argue that what your course is creative, except what you're doing is you're reinforcing the kind of building blocks to build upon. So I kind of, I see it all linking together and, and you're right. I guess what I admire is that you, you're teaching skill sets, which will be learned in industry. And I think that other universities is kind of coming around to it now because there is that yeah. massive pressure and the disconnect from employers frustrated and probably a good thing to, and that's why I guess the architecture social started a bit it was when I was on furlough, yeah. I enjoyed helping students get jobs because sometimes they're not geared for it. And I do think universities try, it would be really unfair to say that it, but it's not as easy as going for two hour lecture and going, all right, guys, get a job. It just doesn't work like that. And actually people are at different places from their courses. And, and, and as you know, is that you can get a student in your course who can do everything the same as another one, but it comes down to also other facets in that person as well of getting their confidence, meeting people and all yeah. them soft skills. And that's where actually, I think the events that you're talking about, like World Skills UK gets you out there because interviews it's a people process and we're all people and and we have to uh be in a room with someone and, and talk confidently and that and that takes a bit of time and no not everyone's good at it first i mean i've done a <laughs> lot of bad interviews and that's okay too but it takes a little bit of time what i was going to ask you though michael because it's at the nice kind of 49 50 minute mark and i always think that I get the awesome role of talking in the interview. I know it's a little bit of a freestyle combo, but I think it's quite nice if you get to ask me questions, which can be anything. And so I was just wondering if you have any things that you'd like to ask me. Let's say um, it's one of the ones that I've found was mm. people who are past students of mine who've come back. They've yeah. been the biggest influence in my professional career so helping design curriculum content helping teach students keep me up to date i would ask that have you ever been back to any of your courses to help them to update their skill set or update their curriculum do you think that's something you would like to do i'd like to i would what would what would you change so the course that you did year one all the way through to, and I know you didn't go all the way to the five and we didn't finish it, but where, what, what would you change? Yeah. Good so question. You're, you're getting a bottomless pot of money and you're now in head of school architecture. What are you going to do? Wow. Big question. I got to be very careful what I say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's go for the challenge. So I've got the pot of money. You've hired me in my old university. I think I would be scared to change everything i'm not going to do that radical approach i would tweak it slightly with the bias that i know so i would try to bring in 
some of the elements which I admire, which you do, of I would try to bring employability all the way through. So, and I did do one or two courses of learning 3D Studio Max and Revit, but I would bring that straight away at the start. And I wouldn't let the tutors say, oh, you can't just do the technical stuff you've got. Of course, you've got to learn to design, but I would call it like an employability module or careers in construction module or whatever. And straight away from first year to third year, and that's your part one, the three years of architecture, I would have that. And I would, especially in the last six months, I would constantly be talking about CVs and portfolios and interview techniques. That's partly Super because of my... Yeah, and I think so because I think what happens a lot and a lot of the time is that people get out and and it is quite overwhelming. And also, I would do a little bit of like general knowledge which people don't know. So for example, no one talks about the role of a recruitment consultant and there's a big misconception and and recruitment consultants are really hired by an employer to find yeah. a very hard to find skill set. So you talked about BIM 360 or certain bits. Now that's becoming more commonplace, but two, three years ago, that would be the top of my requirements. What clients are not paying recruiters for is students' entry-level roles. Therefore, I think a lot of students get frustrated by contacting recruiters and getting nowhere when actually, if, if, if you explain to the student that they're not gonna, it's not in their interest to, to help you, then you should spend your energy directing the search yourself, then actually you, you would not be so frustrated. Because the moment you learn that a recruiter's not going to help you until you're a few years in your career, you crack on with it. And actually, <laughs> you're going to be the person that gets you the role. And the other yeah. misconception that I would get rid of is that there's like this romantic notion in architecture um, of you will print out this beautiful portfolio, you build this thing and I come to your office, Michael McGuire Architects, I hand you the portfolio and you go interview. And it don't work like that in the modern world anymore. You've got to send out a number of CVs. You've got to think of it like anything like dating or building a business or building your brand. You know, on LinkedIn, you start with one connection. You have to build it up to 500,000. You have to get your CV and portfolio out there and you can't be disheartened with rejection. And yeah. I think that's the biggest thing that I would teach is that, typically you need five to 10 interviews to get one to three offers. So if you're not going to five interviews, you have less than a hundred percent chance of getting the job. And I think that when you start thinking like that, then it really takes the, the pressure off you because then you, you're less likely to internalize that you're a failure because actually you haven't just sent enough product out there. So stuff like that. I kind of went off on a tangent. No, it's that's the, the kind of thing I'd like really to well. tell people. It, yeah, in, that's the thing I like to tell people. It's interesting yeah, to hear. There's, do you know some of the more successful students that have been winning the competition all teach Revit and BIM in year one? Right. Ah, in, interesting pattern there. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Give me and a it's, it's actually one of the ones that for me is, <laughs> why not teach them year one? Just get Revit straight in and then you can use it for all five years, right? Yeah. i tell you what the other thing is. When I was at Manchester University, I was teaching assistant and that was actually really rewarding. And I thought oh, I yeah. was 
I thought I thought I was like, oh, it'll be a good tick box for my CV, but it actually was really <laughs> rewarding for me because you get to learn to teach people and, and actually you get a lot more. Because at first you're like, ugh, I'm going to spend an hour of yeah. my time to teach some students and... Listen, oh, we, I, we, I know we're finishing off. I'm just going to finish. I'm going to just say one thing. Please. I am always saying on LinkedIn, I have the best job in the world. I yeah. promise you, when I started teaching, I, all the way through every year, I have students that will be the first people in their family to go to college. Nobody mm. in their family will even maybe have a full-time job. These are people who will, my students are, they are leading in their family. No one else is ever going to college. No one, and now if you look at them, they're running companies, they're managers, uh, um, offices. That is the most rewarding thing. Mm. It genuinely is. I, I hear you. I'm going <laughs> to... Oh, it not was just me, there are many of us. Should point out we have seven. It's not just me. There are seven in our team um, in, in the CAD section. Um, we have digital construction and mechanical engineering CAD. So there's no just me. Our, our students are successful because of all our, our lecturers that are in the team. Yeah, absolutely. That clap that I put on had a bit of a laugh there, so I didn't like that one. But I'm kind of—I <laughs> wasn't laughing. I meant to do the, the traditional clap. <laughs> what I would say, Michael, this has been a great talk, an initial kind of view into how things can be a little bit different to a, a world that I hadn't really seen so much. But when I hear about it, to me, it makes total sense, and I'm so glad that people are getting jobs. Perhaps maybe what we can do is we can have. Uh, we will do another show or something, or maybe you can give a people a glimpse into the course at another time that suits you. Perhaps there's some cool way we can get your students to kind of showcase the work and all the details that they've no done. No problem, absolutely. I, yeah, I would love that. So we will we will not be a case of um, leave it there and never <laughs> see each other again. And, and we're both on LinkedIn anyways, but we will do yes. so, set something up, show people the awesome work there. But in, I will put all the links in the description when this podcast yep. comes out. But yep. while people are listening, if they're on the tube or whatever, and they haven't got the links, how do people find you? Yeah, um, definitely through LinkedIn. And if you, you can search for me, Michael Maguire, New College Lanarkshire, you will find me. Um, but one of the things that I'll send you is the entire playlist of videos. It has data sets, um, Basically, it shows you what it will give you a BIM execution plan, but it talks you through a video. Here's what a BIM execution plan is. And genuinely, honestly, it doesn't matter what discipline you're in. There are 30 plus videos. Each of them is a couple of minutes to five minutes long. Just watch them. And then the data set has the BIP. Go and read it. Um, it will have Revit files. It will show you how to do something. So, for example, it will show you how to add Uniclass 2015 information. Follow along. That's all we need to do. Um... We know you can slow it down on YouTube or you can speed it up and go twice as fast. But literally, if you practice through all those 30 videos um, time and time again, and then if you're on a level six or below course, register for the competition. That's the big step. Putting yourself out there and actually registering. Wise words. Putting yourself out there, you find you get a lot more than if you're sitting at home eating Doritos, watching Netflix. It is much worse. It is definitely worth That's it. That's a lot so, easier. That is a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, it's more instantly grant is fine, but in the long term, I think actually the World Skills UK it sounds like the right thing. So thank you again, Michael. You're more than welcome. 
I'm gonna end the, the live stream here. Everyone, check out NCL. New college, Lanarkshire, not Lancashire. <laughs> Lanarkshire is paving the way with all this stuff happening. Thank you, Michael. I'm going to end the podcast here. Thank you, everyone, for watching and or listening wherever you are. I've been Stephen Drew with Michael McGuire signing out. Take care. Thank you. <laughs>